Good morning, goddesses and gods alike. This is Shannon, and I'm your host, and you're listening to the Goddess Morning Show podcast, where you can tune in every weekday morning for an approximately 20-minute long episode to start your day with updates on things that matter to a community of awake and conscious individuals who seek the divine feminine in all we do. We sift through all the copious amounts of information on the internet to bring you news and information on the things that matter to you. Tune in to hear about environmental news and book releases, interviews with thought leaders influencing the awakening of humanity, the moon phases, planetary positions, crystal healing, herbal and holistic health, guidance on green living, and that's just naming a few. Please remember to subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you are listening to us on right now. Be blessed. Namaste. Good morning, goddesses and gods alike. This is the Goddess Morning Show, and I am your host, Shannon. Today is Thursday, April 16th, 2020. And we are going to start out with an article on the Ninyamas of Yoga, a Yogi's Guide to Ethical Living. And this article was written on April 4th of 2020. It says, first found in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, the Ninyamas are one of the eight limbs of yoga. If you think of yoga as a tree, the Ninyamas are one of the eight branches toward enlightenment and total awareness. There are five Ninyamas and they all act as a sort of moral, moral code as they teach us how we should treat ourselves as yogis to become more self-actualized beings. If you want to incorporate the ninyamas into your yoga practice and in your life on the mat, here's everything you need to know to get started. Number one, saucha. The first time, the first of the ninyamas, saucha, translates to cleanliness or purity. And it doesn't just apply to your body, it applies to your mind too. Physically, it means nourishing your body with healthy foods, think unprocessed whole foods like fruit and vegetables, practicing good personal hygiene and keeping the space around you from your yoga mat to your house clean. Mentally, saucha means cleansing your mind of negative thoughts and judgments. Number two is santosha. Santosha in Sanskrit for contentment or happiness. But that doesn't mean you're supposed to be happy all the time or settle for good enough. It simply means being grateful and appreciative for what you currently have or where you currently are in your life. Santosha means contentment, says yoga instructor Kaylee Alyssa in the 28 Days to Yoga Bliss class. That said, it could look a few ways. It might be accepting that you can only do half a split while working toward your full split or being grateful for the stability of your breath while facing a bout of anxiety. Santosha also teaches us to recognize that rather than search for happiness in external things, like your career or marriage, for instance, we can find it inside of ourselves. Number three is tapas. Translated to discipline or austerity, tapas is considered the least pleasant of the ninyamas. It challenges us to incorporate more self-discipline in our lives by overcoming any obstacles stopping us from being our best selves. For instance, 
Top us could be setting your alarm 10 minutes earlier, even if you're not a morning person, to have time to practice yoga or giving a presentation at work, even if you hate public speaking, to advance your career. Because top means fire or heat in Sanskrit, tapas also involves chasing your passions, those things that light the fire in you, and refusing to give up. Number four is Svadhyaya. Svadhyaya means self-study in Sanskrit. It encourages us to look within ourselves and become more mindful of our thoughts and feelings. This requires studying the nature of your own mind and your own reality, Alyssa adds. By becoming more aware, we're able to better have control over our mindset and our actions as we cultivate a stronger relationship with ourselves. Besides daily practice activities, like meditating and journaling, another easy way to practice Svedhaya is to ask yourself introspective questions throughout the day, such as, how do I feel about this? How do I want to feel about this? Or, why do I think this? Is there, is there another way to think of this? Number five is Ishvara Pranayana. The last of the ninyamas, but certainly not the least, is Ishvara Pradnidhana, which means surrendering to a higher being or a higher self. That doesn't necessarily mean God or another deity. It can also be the universe or collective unconsciousness. Alyssa agrees, in order for a full acceptance of life, we must face all of life's situations with equanimity and surrendering to the will of the spirit God, or energy, she explains. Essentially, Ishvara Pranidhana teaches us that we are all connected and there is a greater force at work, one that we cannot control. It encourages us to let go and practice non-attachment, both on and off the mat. This might look like surrendering in Savasana at the end of your yoga practice, or letting go of a bad habit or need to control things in your everyday life. This last ninyama is all about trusting the outcome. So how to practice the five ninyamas? Feeling inspired, but also a little overwhelmed? Remember that the ninyamas are something to work toward, not something you're expected to be perfect at every day. The more you practice them, the more the practice them, however, the more natural they'll become in your life. They're very personal guidelines, Alyssa explains, or perhaps better described as modes of conduct. That said, each of these guidelines will look different depending on who you are and what you'd like to personally achieve. Classical yoga has eight limbs on one gigantic, magnificent tree growing toward superconscious awareness, she continues. Just one of those limbs contains the ninyamas, so whether you're a seasoned yogi trying to reach this level of awareness or just wondering how you can enhance your yoga practice after attempting all the styles of yoga, these five ninyamas are a great place to start. All right, our next article is by Star Bustamante and it's insights from astrology about the new normal written on April 7th, 2020. It says, The Wild Hunt is 100% reader-supported by readers like you. So if you would like to log in to the website on wild, thewildhunt.com, 
they would appreciate your donations. All right, so the article says, I talked with Diatima Manatea about astrology and how its practice can help us to make more informed choices as we move forward and what the new normal might look like. She has uh, been a professional astrologer and tarot reader for almost 30 years, and she writes for Witches and Pagans magazine and is the author of Touch the Earth, Kiss the Sky, Allowing the Rational Mind to Welcome Magic and Spirituality. Her passion for science led to a degree in crop and soil science, as well as graduate work in the field. And she has broad multicultural training in various styles of magic and shamanism. Her spiritual path is rooted in the Western mystery traditions, the principles of yoga, and a profound connection with the natural world. So, she says, well, uh, about a focus being on structure this year, everything from infrastructure to communications to the structure of laws and ideas that keep our society running. I expect peak chaos around the coronavirus from pretty much now through the end of April, early May, and a great deal of money will be thrown at the problem in an effort to stabilize the economy and public opinion. So while you, what you wrote is definitely reflected and corroborated in the current scientific prediction models, as far as the peak, how does the astrology understand an end to the pandemic around August? And she answers, By peak chaos, I meant the fear, confusion, and disruption that has resulted from both the virus and the appallingly weak and impotent federal response to it. While I don't expect leadership to improve, I do think that people outside of the government will begin to take matters into their own hands as much as possible, and will see new systems and ways of managing the situation. There will also be less panic and more ingenuity and solutions to new problems. While I would not use astrology to do what medical modeling does better, timing viral outbreaks, I will say that I think this virus will be dogging us pretty much all year. There will be lulls and attempts to get back to normal, but the lessons we need to learn this year are about finding a new normal. A new normal with healthcare for all, federal and state pandemic preparedness, and an awareness of just how closely we are all connected and dependent upon each other. I think we will find a workable treatment for this virus sooner rather than later. The astrology suggests to me that the treatment may have something to do with blood. And so they ask, initially, we saw grocery store shelves extremely depleted, if not stripped. You mentioned in your last blog post on March 20th that food security would become more of an issue as well as supply chains. While that might not come into play this year, or at least not in the U.S., What does the astrology suggest we can do to prepare for the future? And she replies, Supply chains are already badly disrupted. Further disruptions are probable. But we must realize that super large-scale, fossil-fuel-dependent farming that has become the norm is simply not sustainable on a number of different levels. Resource depletion and climate change will be the primary problems for agriculture in the years ahead, with pollution and diseases not far behind. Food security means supporting local food sources. It means doing what our ancestors did as a matter of course until very recently, growing food in household gardens. Sure, we'll still get coffee from South America or Africa, citrus from Florida, etc., but we need farmers raising food all over the country 
not large corporations controlling our food supply and often abusing both farmers and farm workers in the pursuit of profit above all. And so they say, can you explain which astrological aspects inform on this? And she says, as for the astrology, it's really too complex to go into a lot of detail. As a mundane astrologer, I'm currently looking at the following charts as I answer your questions. The natal chart of the USA, and she says, I use Sibley, 7-4-1776, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, with current solar arcs and transits. The Aries, Cancer, and Libra ingress charts set for Washington, D.C., and mundane charts are set for the capital of a country, and the eclipse charts of January and June also set for D.C. Aspects between transiting planets were also used. She says, my focus here is on the USA, though some of the, these predictions can be applied globally. I would direct astrologers to look particularly at all the planetary activity in Capricorn, which will be repeatedly squared by Mars as it retrogrades through Aries in the last half of the year. She says, I expect war and not just against a virus. Also watch Uranus and Taurus, which will be squared by Mars this week at the full moon, which was last week, and itself squares the nodal axis of the USA's natal chart from the south bending in May and November. And pay close attention to Saturn, as it rules both Capricorn and Aquarius. It conjuncted the USA's natal Pluto in late February and will do so again in early August, and again in November. Pluto is in the second house of finance and money and co-rules the 12th of ep epidemics, hospitals, crime, secret enemies of the nation, oil, and a bunch of other currently pertinent stuff. The three Jupiter-Pluto conjunctions this year are also notable, as is Venus retrograding in Gemini, stationing on the USA's natal Uranus, traveling over the descendant three times, and stationing direct on the USA Mars. And they say, you also mentioned the potential for flooding this year, yet to have an impact on crops. And she answers, as for the floods, among other indicators, I particularly note Neptune and Pisces in the fourth house of both the Aries and Cancer ingress charts, and Jupiter co-ruler of Pisces in fall in Capricorn and playing footsie with Pluto, Saturn, and Mars pretty much all year. And so they say, there has been a huge surge in digital interaction, which has also attracted more attempts at hacking. Recently in the news, there have been reports of Zoom bombing. Zoom is an online platform for video conferencing, where people who do not have access to various Zoom meetings and events have managed to gain access and disrupt meetings. Astrologically speaking, was this type of behavior indicated? And if so, can you talk a little bit about the aspects in play here? And she answers, it's abuse, pure and simple. Abuse can be indicated by Uranus, Saturn, and Mars, and Pluto, all of which were having a bit of a party under Saturn's watch when this became a thing back in mid-March. It intensified as first Saturn and then Mars moved into Aquarius, the sign that rules technology, and squared Uranus, the co-ruler of Aquarius. There will be an increasing focus on technology this year and next as first Saturn, then Mars, then Jupiter move into Aquarius and square Uranus at least once. Mars won't be there long, but Saturn will be there through March of 2023 and Jupiter through 2021. Technology and security will be ongoing issues. 
So they say, one takeaway that has been expressed by several other astrologers is that we are on the cusp of a new paradigm and how we respond to the COVID-19 crisis and the choices we make will set the tone for how we move forward. There was a Jupiter-Pluto conjunction in Capricorn exact at 10.44 Eastern Daylight Time on Saturday, which was the first of three similar conjunctions, one in June and the last in November. There is also a full moon this week. So that was last week because this article was written last week. And it says, how do these aspects come into play? And she answers, oh, this is going to be quite a week indeed. Jupiter, the largest planet in the solar system, makes everything it touches expand. Touching Pluto, which indicates a force majeure, it blows the COVID-19 and the economic crisis up into even larger masses. All this is happening in the USA's second house of the economy, finance, and money, which is another indication that the economic fallout is going to be severe and ongoing. Pluto and the planet of death and rebirth rules the USA's 12th house of epidemics, hospitals, and other institutions where people are separated from society, such as prisons, religious retreats, and etc., as well as criminal endeavors and espionage. Additionally, Jupiter rules religion, and as we've seen, the instance of some churches holding on to large gatherings in the middle of a pandemic endangers not only themselves, but anyone they come in contact with. Additionally, this full moon chart features an aggressive Mars square rebellious Uranus, which suggests some fairly major blowups and may indicate failures of infrastructure, particularly technological infrastructure, as well as sudden and destructive political social events. At least, there will be considerable restlessness and pushback against lockdowns, as well as growing anxiety on the part of the public. There is no question we are entering a new paradigm. This year gives us the endings, new beginnings of several outer planet cycles, Jupiter-Pluto, Saturn-Pluto, and Jupiter-Saturn. The Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, always an indicator of major social change, is even more profound this time around as the elements of these conjunctions now switch to the air signs. That change of elements happens every 200 years, and this change presages the building of new social structures on the rubble of the ones that are being brought down by the ongoing passage of Pluto and Saturn through Capricorn. It's hard to find fun and lightheartedness in this sky. There is so much pain and suffering right now that we simply can't ignore and we are all affected by it, even if it doesn't touch us personally. But I do see growing compassion and a sense of connection that is too often missing in our world. There are gems to be found in this darkness and even joy. And they ask her, the current crisis has certainly exposed the cracks in our various systems, from medical to government. How much of this have have been living and how much of how we have been living and doing business is unsustainable? Is there any good news in all of this? And she answers, The good news is that we will come to understand the need for sustainability and do something about it. As I wrote in my spring 2020 blog post, an economy based on growth is not sustainable. An economy that allows the hoarding of immense wealth by a few people is not sustainable. An economy that ignores the environmental consequences of human actions is not sustainable. There is no way that we know that we go from extractive and uncontrolled capitalist economy based on unlimited growth to a sustainable, compassionate, creative one without a certain amount of pain, displacement, and even tragedy. 
but that has always been part of the human condition. Good news is relative to our values, and our values change as we grow in awareness and understanding. Finding and holding a vision of the society we want to live in, working magically to support that vision, and doing what we are all called to create, all called to do, create is the good news. We have the opportunity to do what our souls came here to do, experience, grow, create, change the world. Unlike some, I have high hopes for the future of the pagan community. We are, as a whole, oriented towards working with nature instead of against it. We are generally animistic, inclusive, and creative. We are mostly open to the ideas of magic, and a somewhat smaller percentage of us usually practice it. Science alone cannot extract us from the mess we are in. Arguably, it created much of it. We need an underlying philosophy that guides the trajectory of science, that supports the natural world, and an understanding of reality that encompasses the creative forces of consciousness to build a world we would like to live in. We can begin to create that world. We can create the good news. And I think we will, by working with each other, with nature, and with our gods and spirits. It's not only the cracks in our various social systems that are showing. There are huge cracks in materialistic foundation of our culture, of science, and consciousness is peeking through. And they say, you also recently had your first book release, Touch the Earth, Kiss the Sky. What kind of impact has the current crisis had where your book is concerned? Did the astrology surrounding the release date prepare you for what we are now collectively finding ourselves in? And she said, I'm not overly concerned about it because of how the book came to be. I spent four years writing it, finding time when I could, and the spirits I work with were encouraging me every step of the way. When the time came to publish it, I got a tarot reading, not an agent. The tarot reading led me to contact a friend, and within a matter of weeks, I had a publisher, Llewellyn, and as another blessing, they turned out to be wonderful to work with. I didn't even do any specific magic for this. I knew it was going to be published, and I'd been guided when the time came. I'm equally sure that the book will get into the hands of the people who need the ideas and information it contains to support their own journey through the crazy times we live in. It's a book for these times, so it's appropriate and it has a chart to match. The difficulties, that stellium in Capricorn is a heavy load, are far outweighed by the benefits. The chart's sun has a strong spiritual focus, conjunct Neptune and Pisces, and the Venus-Uranus conjunction in Taurus highlights the book's focus on animism and breaking through old ways of thinking about the world, as does Mercury in Aquarius. Mercury was stationary, just about to turn direct, but still retrograde. So yes, I anticipated delays, probably outside of my ability to influence, but Mercury's opposition to the moon in Leo suggests that the book won't be forgotten. And they say, is there one thing you would want our readers to know? What would it be? She said, just one, because there's a lot I could say about the current astrology, like it's a new world. Being willing to consider alternative options. Stay flexible. Remember that some losses can be hard, but necessary. There is a need to grieve what is lost. There is also a need to move on. We all need to find how to do both of these things. Actively look for what brings you joy. Remember to ask for guidance from those whose guidance you trust. Ask for help when you need it. Give help when you can. But if I had to choose just one thing, I'd say this. Find your vision and hold on tight. 
These are challenging and dangerous times, but full of opportunities as well. The choices we make now are critical. When things fall apart, we need to rebuild. But do we build from our vision of a better world, or do we build on a foundation of fear? Find your vision and hold on tight. Our collective vision will create a new world. All right, and that is our episode for today. So I hope that everyone is staying safe and healthy out there and that you have all the resources that you need, sending you very positive vibes. Blessings to you and namaste.